Amen. Amen. So, guys, we're going to get into into the word. We're going to uh, hear from Aaron as he he reads the parable to us, and and then Stuart's going to to break that down and and open it up for us. And and I just ask that that we would surrender ourselves to to the power of the word now. That we would we would approach this time prayerfully and um, considerately that we would submit ourselves and, and ask God to use the word to shape us and mold us and encourage us and and push us forward. Okay, so Aaron, over to you. Right, I'm reading from Matthew chapter 25, verse 1 to 13. It's the parable of the ten virgins. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. As the bridegroom was delayed, they all became drowsy and slept. But at midnight, there was a cry, here is the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, since there will not be enough for us and for you, go rather to the dealers and buy for yourselves. And while they were going to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered, Truly I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Thank you. Okay, good evening everyone. Can you just give me a wave so I know that you can hear me? Brilliant, thank you. If you haven't met me, my name's Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome to Sunday Night Live with Real Life Church. This evening. Now, before we get into the passage that Aaron has just read, I've got a little kind of challenge for you, and that is this. I'm going to show you a photo. Well, I'm not going to do it. Charlotte's going to do it. But a photo will appear on the screen. And I want you to answer three questions about the photo. The first one is, who do you think it is in the photo? Who do you think it is in the photo? The second one is, what is what are they wearing? What is significant about what they're wearing? And the third one is, can you guess how old they are in the photo? So who is it? What are they wearing? What's significant of that? And how old do you think they are? Uh, go on then, Charlotte. Oh, no, we do. Once you've done that, stick it in the chat and I'll see if any of you got it all right. So, uh, and you've got 10 seconds. So show us the photo, Charlotte. Okay, Charlotte, do you want to take that embarrassing photo down? Okay, now, do you want to put something in the chat? Who do you think that was in the photo? What was the significance of their uniform? And how old do they think they were? And how, I'll have a little look, see if anyone got it right. Oh, one of you is pretty close, at least. Well, of course, the person in that photo was me. <laughs> 
from a while ago. I was actually, uh, I'm wearing my Cub Scout uniform there. So I was a Cub Scout at that time. Um, and I think that's when I just uh, started uh, going to Cubs and proud parents took a photo of me. And for those guessing, I was the same age as my youngest son at the moment. I was eight years old at that time. And I went to Cubs for a number of years. I went all the way through the kind of Cub Scout system and I had a fantastic time in Cubs. I loved it. I did a whole bunch of things that were probably illegal nowadays. Some of the games we played, British Bulldog, we played proper British Bulldog. We went out into the woods uh, and did wide games in the dark where we got to throw flower bombs at each other and charge around and do that. We went camping once a year in the summer um, and we cooked over open fires. We did all sorts of great fun things. I um, I got my bronze arrow. I got my silver arrow. I got my gold arrow. I became the sixer of yellow six. So I was the leader of that six. And I had a fantastic time. It was really good. And the thing about the Cub Scouts is they had a promise, they had a law and they had a motto. And the thing I want to focus on this moment is their motto. Does anyone know the Cub Scout motto? It's just two words. Have a think about it. If you know, the answer is simply this. Be prepared. That was the Cub Scout motto. Be prepared. And I knew that from when I joined. I was told that, informed that. And I still remember that many, many years later. And I did some research into it. And I found out some stuff that I didn't know back then, and that is be prepared. The, re the motto came from the initials of the founder of the Cub Scout movement, Baden-Powell. So be prepared, Baden-Powell. And he wrote this, he said, uh, be prepared, which means you are always in a state of readiness in mind and body to do your duty. Being prepared in mind is by having disciplined yourselves to be obedient to every order, and also by having thought out beforehand any accident or situation that might occur so you know the right thing to do at the right time and are willing to do it. And you are to be prepared in body by making yourself strong and active and able to do the right thing at the right moment when that moment comes. And what we're going to look about that story that Aaron read, we're going to look at what it means to being prepared uh, this evening. So we're in part eight of our sermon series on the stories Jesus told. Um, and if you've been following along, you can catch up those online. Um, so please do that. And we're looking at the parables, the stories Jesus told. And we've learned a bunch of things about them. We found uh, that parables are little stories with big ideas. Uh, they're things that can be understood by a child, yet have great, deep uh, spiritual truths in them. They are designed to conceal and also to reveal. Those who are uh, spiritually dull, those who are not interested, they will conceal truth for them. They won't get them, people won't understand them. But for those who are seeking God, those who are interested in the things of God, they will actually reveal and enlighten um, the truth to them. And we've looked at uh, the first three weeks, I went through the parables of the kingdom from Matthew 13. And then the last four weeks, we've looked at some parables of salvation. We've learned a whole bunch of things about that. If you've missed any of that, they're on our website, you can go and catch up. Um, on them. And what we're going to look at now, starting today, is we're going to look at the next four weeks, uh, what can be kind of titled uh, Parables of Wisdom or Parables of Wisdom and Folly. And they're about making white, wise choices and also the consequences of not making wise choices, making foolish choices. And this parable, the one that Aaron just read, uh, to put it in context in Matthew's Gospel, Matthew's story of the life death and resurrection of Jesus. It comes straight after Matthew 24. And in Matthew 24, Jesus is talking to people about 
his, his return, when he goes, he knows he's going to die, he knows he's going to rise from the dead, he knows he's going to ascend into heaven, but he says, then I'm going to return one day, and he's talking to people about that, and he's talking about people being watchful and being prepared for his return. And so the big idea of what we're going to look at over the next 20, 30 minutes is that Jesus is coming back, so are you prepared? Jesus is coming back, so are you prepared? So well, let's, we're going to look at the passage, then we're going to look at what can we learn, and then what can we do out of that. So let's go to the story. It says, the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Okay, we've looked at the kingdom of heaven in previous uh, sermons about just being a, a catch-all term for God's rule. Where God is ruling and reigning, there his kingdom is. And Jesus is using an image here of a wedding feast to talk about his return. And we know a little bit about what weddings in the first century and that part of the world look like. We don't know everything, but we know a few things. And in my research, I found out this. The way it worked was this, that before a wedding, there was a betrothal. And the betrothal is a bit like our modern engagement but it was way more serious than that. If you were betrothed to someone and you wanted to break it off, you actually had to go through a divorce proceedings to do that, which isn't the case now. And we see that actually in the life of Jesus with Mary and Joseph, uh, mum and dad. Mary gets pregnant by the Holy Spirit and it says Joseph wants to divorce her because they're only betrothed. They haven't actually been ready. Uh, haven't actually been uh, had the wedding. And it said the angel comes and we have that in the Christmas story and so that's what it is so they have a betrothal and then there is a wedding at the end of the betrothal period the marriage the wedding takes place i also found out that apparently if the um the bride was a virgin the, the wedding would take place on a wednesday if the bride was a widow it would take place on a thursday and the way it would work was this the bridegroom uh, and his party made their way to the bride's home and when they came together, the wedding took place. They were married. And then there was a procession to the bridegroom's home. So they would go back where a feast was held to celebrate uh, the marriage. And that could go on for many, many days. So that was a huge event. And this often took place in the evening and into the night uh, when it was because people might be working during the day. And so that's what they do. And that's why there were lamps and torches needed to light the way uh, for this to happen. So what we have is we have this image of a wedding and Jesus highlights, uh, it says the virgins, or in some translations, it says the bridesmaids, because the bridesmaids would have been the unmarried um, uh, women who had been attending the bride. So they were the virgins and they would help the bride get ready. And they would come with their lamps, their torches, um, ready um, for the procession, the torchlit procession after the marriage ceremony to go to the feasts. And so they would be with the bride and they would part of the procession. And so you have these 10 virgins. Jesus said, this is the story. He's got these 10 uh, virgins and 10 bridesmaid. And then he divides them in half. He says, well, five of them are foolish and five of them are wise. So there's just a neat division. It's, uh, and um, on the surface, they look the same. They were all there. They probably all dressed up nicely for the wedding. When you go to our modern weddings, the bridesmaids are there. They look beautiful, but they're usually all wearing the same kind of get up with the same flowers, all their hair done. But Jesus says, actually, they're not the same. They're different. You have the foolish ones. Foolish means unwise, devoid of understanding, dull, even stupid, particularly when it comes to spiritual matters and spiritual things. So five of them were in that category. And then but five of them, were wise, so they were shrewd, sensible, prudent, understanding of spiritual things. And they're divided into two groups for the sake of contrast. So it says there were 10 virgins, five were foolish, 
five for what uh, were wise. And then as we move in the stories, it says, for when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil for their lamps. So there's the evidence for why Jesus is saying one group of wise and one group of foolish. Well, why is that? He says, well, it was one of the groups was prepared and one of them wasn't. The wise uh, bridesmaids took oil for their lamp. The foolish one didn't, didn't. And when I looked into this, there seemed to be what, what were the lamps they were talking about? Some people think they were just these kind of oil lamps. Others, which seems to be the weight of um, scholarly opinion, is that they were kind of torches for a torchlit procession. And there would be rags at the end of the torch, which were dipped in the oil, which were then lit and burnt. And so the extra oil was to re-soak the rags ready um, for the procession. And the wise um, bridesmaids, the wise virgin, had brought extra oil in their lamp and the point that Jesus is making with the foolish ones who didn't he's basically making the point that their negligence for not bringing extra oil was not just due to poor uh, foresight um, or just like oh we forgot it's his point he's making is it was inexcusable carelessness these bridesmaids did not take their job seriously they didn't take their role as bridesmaids to the bride seriously. It was in an inexcusable mistake not to be ready for the coming of the bridegroom. And it was far too an important job to leave to chance. You need to be ready. You need to be prepared. And so he says when they took their lamp, they took no oil with them. And what we get in here, and he's contrasting the wise and the foolish. And if you look at the beginning of verse four, there's that word but. And if you travel through the passage, you'll find four of these, four buts through the thing. And if you're taking notes in your Bible, it's worth underlining them because Jesus throughout this is contrasting the wise and the foolish bridesmaids in this story. And he's saying that the foolish ones failed to bring the extra oil for their lamps, for their torches. And then it says the bridegroom was delayed. The bridegroom, what the, 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 they didn't know when they was coming. Punctuality is very much a Western virtue. In the Middle East, not so much. You wait, and when the bridegroom turns up, then we can have the wedding. They didn't have clocks or anything like that, so it was just a waiting game. And so while they were waiting, um, the bridesmaids took a nap. Jesus didn't rebuke them for this. All the preparation was done. They were merely waiting. So it probably if they knew they were going to be partying into the night, a quick cat nap would not be uh, um, a bad thing or out of character. That's what they need to do. So there they are. But then it says, there's our second but. At midnight, there was a cry. Here's the bridegroom. Come out and meet him. The bridegroom has come to get his bride. The wedding is going to take place. There's going to be the marriage. There's going to be the procession. There's going to be the feast that comes after him. And he says he came at midnight. And midnight just indicates a time of night when you least expect it. You wouldn't expect the bridegroom to turn up for his bride at that time. So there is something about this that is unexpected. They didn't plan this. They didn't realize this was going to um, happen. But the bridegroom suddenly turns out and they have to leap into action. This is all the virgins. They rose. And this is they trimmed their lamps, which means they they got ready for what was happening. They, they got their oil out. They poured it on their rags. They're ready to light it for the procession for what was going to happen because it would have been pitch dark at that time. No street lights to lead the bride and the groom from the wedding to the feast. And now the difference between the two groups is suddenly brought into focus in the actions that they have taken. Because we find that the foolish bridesmaids, their lamps are going out. They've got no oil. It needs to be replaced. They've got no light. There's no, can't be a procession, a torchlight procession in the middle of the night with no light. 
it just wouldn't work. And so they're suddenly left like, what do we do? We've got nothing house. We've got nothing to do. The other solution is they need to go and get some extra oil. They need to go and get some extra oil. And they, they ask the wise one to say, hey, you give us some of your oils. Our, our lamps are going out. But here's the, the thing that Jesus is underlining here. He says, preparedness cannot be transferred from one to another. The foolish bridesmaids were not prepared and they can't just transfer it from the wise ones who just said there. Now, some people talk about sharing or maybe they should have shared. The point of this parable isn't about sharing. It's about being ready, being prepared. And the foolish bridesmaids were simply not prepared. And the wise ones just speak to them and say, hey, there's not going to be enough. If we give you our oil, we won't have enough. You won't have enough because we're going to split it. There'll be no procession. There'll be nothing. It will all be darkness. The whole thing will be ruined. You need to go and get extra oil for your lamps so we can all go and lead the bride and the groom to the feast. And so off go the foolish bridesmaids. They obviously have to go and get someone out of bed, wake someone up. It's the middle of the night, try and knock on doors of the shopkeeper or whoever and saying, we need some extra oil wherever they can find it to do that. And so the wise um, bridesmaids go off on the procession. The foolish bridesmaids go and try and find extra oil for their lamps. And it says, while they were going, the bridegroom came and those who were ready with him, all the other guests went with him to the marriage feast. So they would have taken their lamps. They would have led the procession uh, towards the feast at the bridegroom's house. And it says that when they went there, they went into the feast and the door would have been shut. So they would have gone into a courtyard, into the house. The feast would have been prepared and the doors would have been shut not to let anyone else come in. And they'd have some time of safety, of celebration and feasting and dancing. And it says the other, the foolish virgins have gone off and they come back and they find that the doors are closed. The party has started. There would have been laughter and celebration and food and wine and music and dancing. And they suddenly they hear it and they can't get in. And they're saying, hey, open up, open up to us. Come on, we're the ones who are meant to be there. But there is an answer. There's the fourth part here. It says, the bridegroom says, true, I don't know you. It's a strong assertion. And the, word, the fact that Jesus puts that word truly in underlines it. It's basically just the word amen. It's saying, truly, this is important. I don't know you. They expected these bridemaids to kind of be center stage. They would have been leading this torchlit procession with the bride and the groom. They'd have been part of the, the bridal party. They'd have been part of the focus. And now they're outside looking at and they won't even be letting. For them, it's devastating news. And their failure to be ready when the time comes means they have been excluded totally. They have suffered the consequences of, of their action. And Jesus is reminding them there is a time to be in and there is a time to be out. There's a time to be prepared and get ready. And those who fail to get ready will be excluded. And he underlines it in the final verse, verse 13. He says, watch therefore, for you know neither the day or the hour. And he's talking about his return. He's saying, actually, I'm going to come back. And you don't know when it's going to be. And you have to be ready. You have to be watching out. You have to be having your eyes open and looking forward because it's going to come and you have to be ready for that moment, because when it does, there'll be a dividing. There'll be those who are in and those who are out. And Jesus, if you go back over verse uh, chapter 24 in Matthew, you'll see he's been constantly saying to be watchful, get ready, because this is coming. And so that's the parable of the wise and foolish virgins that Jesus told. And so we're going to look at a couple of things now. We'll look at what can we learn from that? 
and then we'll look at what can we can do out of that and then we're going to have a time to respond so what can we learn from this parable three things the first one is jesus will return the image of the bridegroom points squarely to jesus it's an image that's found through the gospels through the new testament all the way to the end um, jesus is the bridegroom he is the one who is coming for his bride the bride with the church the people of god uh, as the imagery you find and um, jesus is coming back it's only a matter of time jesus will return it's merely a matter of time and if we look at the parable we'll find a couple of things we'll find there'll be delay they were waiting for the bridegroom but he wasn't there yet he hadn't come and if we look back through 2000 years of church history there's been delay jesus has died he's risen from the dead he's ascended into heaven and we're still waiting we're still waiting there is delay we see that we also see that it will be unexpected when Jesus comes, they were like, whoa, he's coming. Everyone get ready. They'd fallen asleep. They weren't completely happy. There'll be an unexpectedness to his return. That's why then he used that phrase midnight, that point to that time of night where you're just not expecting things to happen. He'll come without warning. There was no kind of precursor or he'll be here in 10 minutes. And suddenly here's a bridegroom. We've got to go now. And uh, I found this um, Kind of what does this look like for Jesus' return? One of the illustrations, I had a lecturer who, who used this that I found helpful. It can be like um, a pregnancy. Um, if you've ever been um, involved in this or you've been pregnant or you know someone who's been pregnant, uh, this happened with us. You see all the signs. You know something's going to happen. When Mel was expecting um, our second son, Asha, she was pregnant. She was getting big. It was obvious something was going to happen. We're going to have a baby soon. But then came that Saturday morning when Mel came and woke me up and said it's coming now i wasn't expecting that i was suddenly up route what would you mean now 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 right now and she was like yes right now grab the go bag got the phone to someone to look after levi we went to good hope hospital less than two hours later asha appeared was not expecting that even though it was obvious that he was coming and it's like that jesus returned he's coming he's coming we know he's coming the word says he's coming the time is drawing short but when he comes, it will be unexpected. The second thing we can learn, we have to be prepared. We have to be prepared. The image in the parable Jesus used was the image of the oil, the spare oil that those wise bridesmaids had with them. And that indicates a, a preparation they'd made, an inward preparation of being ready for the coming of bridesmaid. This is what it meant to be wise. All the bridesmaids were invited. Did you realize that? All of them were invited. No one was excluded. No one was saying, you're not even allowed to come. They all got invited, all 10 of them. But only half of them, only five of them in the story made the necessary choices to get them there to the feast. And how they responded in that time, how they responded in that process uh, dictated what happened afterwards. And the wise ones had made a plan they planned out in advance what they wanted to do what they wanted to achieve they were ready they didn't know when it was going to happen but they knew when it's happened we're ready we're prepared we know what's coming and so we're going to get ready for it they made preparations now for a future that was coming and not just the current future but an eternal future and the third thing we can learn from this is there will come a point when it's just too late there will come a point when it's just too late. The door of the wedding feast will close and there'll be people on the inside 
and there'll be people on the outside. There will be people who will enjoy fellowship and feasting and laughter and dancing and music. And there'll be those who endure suffering and loss and isolation and anguish. There'll be those who are wise and there'll be those who are foolish. And once the door is closed, that's it. There is a window of opportunity, but it is limited. And we've seen this in other parables. And Phil spoke last week, the parable of the banquet. You have to RSVP and you have to RSVP there. Yes, you can't wait. You can't. There's got to be that moment. You saw in Matthew 13, the parable of a net that comes in. The there is a separation when all the fish are brought in. And Jesus is just highlighting the same point again. How prepared you are now will have ramifications on the future. And there'll come a point when it's too late. So what can we do? What can we do now? What can we do now? Simply put, we need to be prepared. We need to be prepared. We need to make preparations now for our future. We need to heed, heed the warning that Jesus gives in this parable. We need to make a wise decision now before it's too late. And we, the reality is we're all going to have to meet Jesus at some point. We're all going to have to meet him as the ruling and reigning king that he is. The Bible is completely clear on this fact. Jesus is ascended. He is enthroned in power and majesty and authority. He is the king of kings and the lord of the lords, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who always has been and the one who always will be. He is God the son. And one day we are all going to meet him. And the danger we face is we think it's a long way off. We think there's plenty of time to think about it. That is a foolish thought. The reality is we don't know what tomorrow holds. We don't know what tonight holds. We don't even know if we're going to wake up tomorrow morning. Especially in this time of uncertainty that we face now, it's almost even less certain about what the future holds and where we're going to go and what's going to happen. Jesus is coming back and we will have to meet him. And this will either happen through his physical return as he returns and every eye sees him or you'll meet him because you die. And that's simply that is we're all going to die at some point and then you'll go and stand before Jesus in judgment. And so the question comes again, are you prepared? Jesus told this story 2000 years ago. He got written down by the gospel writer Matthew for us here and now in the 21st century to read and to be asked the same question. Are you prepared? Are you going to make a wise decision and be with the foolish, uh, with the wise bridesmaids and have that extra oil ready for that day when the bridegroom comes? Or are you going to be like the foolish bridesmaids who is going to ignore this or put it aside or kind of um, explain it away? And then that day comes when you are on the outside and you suffer the consequences of your actions. So here's two things I want to suggest to you out of this about what we can do. The first one, you need to become a Christian. The way you get prepared for the bridegroom coming back is you make a commitment to follow him. You became a Christian a commitment to follow him. We would say that in our language, you become a Christian. You know that one day you're going to stand before him. You're going to one day have to answer to him. He's, he is the king. He's also the judge. He's going to judge all our thoughts and words and actions. He's going to judge the things we've done and the things we haven't done, the things we've thought, the things we've said. 
and he's going to judge them against a perfect scale and we know we're going to fall short of that and so the message is that Jesus is the creator of the heaven and earth he's the one who always has been he is the one who rules and reigns over everything he's the one that all of the old testament points towards the history of the people of Israel he came as God the son he lived a perfect life he died a death on a cross he rose from the dead bodily victorious he ascended into heaven and he calls all men and all women from all places and all people groups to repent of their sin and put their faith and trust in him to turn away from living their own life and recognize him as lord and king and sovereign god and if you are not a believer here listening to this that's what you need to do you need to turn from living your own way of life you need to put your faith and trust in him you need to repent of your sin and commit to live your life daily for the rest of the days that you have following jesus faithfully if you are a believer here you need to be living in the light of that you need to be daily reminding yourself who jesus is what he's done who you are in him where you're going what's at stake you need to live that life of recognizing him, of being prepared. So there's those of you who need to become Christians, listen to this, and those of us who have made that decision, I made it many, many years ago, I need to live in light of that today, now, when we worship, when we pray in a moment, tomorrow when I get up and begin the day again, begin another week, to be reminded what the commitment I've made and where I'm going. So the first one there, you need to become a Christian. The second one is we need to live prepared lives. And the question I kind of want to ask you is, are you living a life prepared? Are you prepared? Do you have that motto? Be prepared. Are your eyes on a heavenly home, not just an earthly one? Are your eyes on a heavenly kingdom, not just what's happening here on earth? Are your focus beyond what's happening in the here and now? And you're looking forward to a future. Are you waiting in expectation for the bridegroom to come, knowing that he will return at some point? Even though it's delayed, he is coming back and he will come back when you least expect it. Are you living a prepared life? How about in how we, you use your time? Are you using your time? to live that prepared life and to pursue God's kingdom, to pursue all the things Jesus has called you to, to live full of the Holy Spirit, to serve the poor, the marginalized, the broken, to be good to your community, to proclaim the good news of who Jesus is, to pray for the sick and serve those around us. What about how you use your money? We know as believers that actually it's not our money at all. It's all God's money. Heavens and earth and everything in it belongs to God. He really gives it to us to steward for a short period of time. We can't take it with us, we can just invest it in his kingdom work, his work. How are you using your money? Is it all yours? Are you regularly giving of it to the work of the church to serve the poor and the broken? Or do you view it all as yours? Are you prepared in that area? What about how you view your work at this time? Whatever you do with the kind of majority um, of your time during the week, do you recognize that you are working ultimately for him and not for yourself? Are you giving your best energies to it? Are you seeking to serve the place you work um, the best way you can, being the best employer, employee, employer or, or boss or subordinate that you can possibly be? What about how you live out your daily life with your family, with your spouse, your children, 
your parents, whoever you have around you? What about, are you prepared in terms of your daily Bible reading and prayer? Are you living a life in the word, learning about it? Are you studying the parables as we go through them, making them part of your daily life? Are you living a prepared life? Or if the bridegroom came back and you found yourself before him, would you be completely unprepared? Sobering, sobering questions for us. But Jesus tells his stories to provoke us to provoke us to make good and wise choices. And I'm gonna finish now, and I'm just gonna give you a moment to process some of the things that we've talked about tonight. The Holy Spirit's been at work, even though we're scattered in many places. The Holy Spirit has been here, he's been working in hearts and minds. You know if he's been prodding you about something, you know if he's been talking to you about something. And I want to encourage you just to respond now. I'm going to give a moment of quiet and I'd love you just to make a response. If you know what it is, if you know, most importantly, if you know that you need to become a Christian, you know you need to make that choice. I'd love you to have a word with Jesus about that. I'd love you to tell us, well, contact us. We'd love to put someone in contact, talk about what that means. If you are a Christian here and you know there are areas of your life where you think I need to get that sorted, I need to get that line. I'm living foolishly in this area and I need to live wisely in this area i'd love you to take that to jesus talk to him about that talk about what you're going to do this is the area this is what i need to change this is how i need to change ask for his grace and his spirit to help you in that so i'm just going to give a minute or so for you to do a little bit of business with god and then i'm going to pray um, to finish so you do some business with jesus now I just I felt a couple of things drop um, into into my head into my heart so I'm, I'm just gonna read them out and if this applies to you I'm just gonna ask you to just kind of hold your hands out to God really so I, I felt um, three things, physical things that I felt as I was just sitting there that I felt like God wanted to speak through what Stu has just shared. So I, I felt I felt something in my heart that just squeezed. Um, I just felt like 
Oh, so it's a little bit difficult to explain, but as if if hands were holding, literally holding onto my heart, just squeezed it and it hurt a little bit. And so I felt two things. Physically, I felt like if you have issues with your heart, I feel like you should stretch your hands out now. So physical issues with your heart. So physically, your heart has some kind of pain or hurt or uh, I don't mean like heartbroken. I mean, like actually physical heart pain or physical heart injury or physical heart. If you're sitting next to someone who you know has heart issues, I want you to just lay hands on them and pray for them and ask God to bring healing. If you're on your own right now, I want you to just stretch out your hand one hand out to God and the other hand on your heart and ask him to bring healing. But I also felt like part of the squeeze was was relational stuff where where you've had your eye on something else relationship wise where you've been hankering after something else to take the place of Jesus where actually you found your head has been turned or your heart has been turned to the other side and your heart squeeze is because God is saying actually that heart belongs to me and there's something now of a realigning where you need to actually turn your head turn your heart back to him so you are someone who loves him and knows him but your heart has been turned slightly to the side to the other way and you are compromised in some way where your heart actually feels like it's straying off course and you need to now tonight put it back on track you need to say actually my heart belongs to you Jesus and then the second thing I felt was um, a hand a pain in my hand um like a like like an arthritic pain or something in the joints of my hand and I felt like God wanted to speak to you if you have arthritis or if you have some kind of pain in your hand injury in your hand something that makes movement in your hands hard work so I want you to stretch out your hands and say to God, please bring healing. If you're sitting next to someone, lay hands on them. If you are on your own, hold your own hand out towards God and stretch out the other hand and ask for healing to come. Jesus, Jesus, we believe wholeheartedly in a healing God. We do believe it is for our time and for this age and for now. We do believe that the kingdom of God is increasing in power and influence. <coughs> and so we ask for you to come, Jesus. But I also felt like ha these hands were holding things too tightly. Yeah. So there are things that you're grasping onto, holding onto way too tight. And for me, it felt like to do with workplaces and promotions and success and things that you're just gripping to way too tightly that it's actually causing you physical pain it's actually causing your unit your home your your space physical pain because you're holding it 
way too tightly and I felt like God wanted to ask you to loosen your grip slightly to allow him to do something different in your life to allow him to do more to allow him to work within it that you're holding it so tightly thinking that you are the answer you are the breakthrough you are the one who will bring it if you only could work hard enough or you only could um, spend more time or you only could give that extra hour that you would provide the breakthrough and it's actually causing you pain it's causing you loss of sleep loss of peace loss it's actually causing you physical harm and I felt like God wanted you just to release out your hands and just cry out to him and say God please just come and help me come and step into this and then lastly um uh, I felt a kind of shortness of breath um, that God just wanted to move on those with with asthma or just areas where you just feel like breath. And, and it's something that God's speaking to me about, like my breathing with my sinuses has been all over the shop and and I know that God wants to speak into this area for me personally, but I feel like it's for others. So breathing is an issue for you. Um, and, and I feel like God wants to come and breathe on you. And, and, and I felt like um, you're, you're someone who's been running hard and, and he wanted to come by his spirit and bring breath. That he wanted to refresh you, bring, bring newness, bring his breath, bring his hope, bring his strength into your life and your circumstances. So he didn't just want to breathe on you in your physical body. He wanted to breathe on you in your spiritual life and your spiritual health. But it will require you to stand still for a moment. And I, and I feel like I'm saying this to myself as much as to others, that you will need to hold out your hands and breathe him in, that you will need to say, God, I'm pausing and waiting for you to come now and you to do something and you to breathe by your spirit. And I feel like you, you're someone who hungers after spiritual breakthrough. You're someone who hungers after the Holy Spirit coming in amazing ways. And he in this season wants to move in that way I do believe that when Rose said she felt like the spirit of God wanted to come in this season in new ways I do believe that that he wants to come in new ways and breathe in incredible ways on our lives spiritually on how we read our bibles on how we pray but also in our communities in our circumstances Amen. Thank you, Mel. All right. I'm just going to pray uh, to finish, um, particularly if you feel like that some of that um, kind of applies to you. Maybe you want to just close your eyes, um, open your hands. I'm just going to pray. Holy Spirit of God, we thank you for your word. We thank you. We get to study it together. Lord, we thank you for what you've spoken to us just now. Lord, we pray that you would fill us, Lord, that we would live lives that are prepared. Lord God, we would make wise choices about what it means to follow you every day of our lives, not just once every four years, but every single day, yeah. uh, Lord Jesus. And we pray you give us grace to do that. Lord, we thank you you don't leave us as orphans. Lord, you walk beside us, you fill us with your spirit. Lord God, we pray for those challenges 
Uh, Lord Jesus, and we pray you give us grace to, to be wise people who follow you. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. We're gonna, uh, I'm going to finish there officially. I just want to throw this out to you for life group leaders. Maybe if you've got some time this week in your meetings, when you meet on Zoom, so maybe follow this up, have a chat about anything God's spoken to you. Do that um, this week. Um, love you all. And uh, handing back to Jeremy now. Thanks very much, Stuart. Thank you so much, Melanie. Thanks, Aaron. Thank you, Matt and Phil. Thank you, John, for everything that you contributed tonight. Thank you, Lord, for being with us. And thank you, uh, everyone else, for, for turning up and, and enjoying the evening. We're going to close officially there, but do remember that the sermon will be recorded and will be put on the website. So remind anyone who wasn't able to be here tonight that they